Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome, and this is Cindy Meyer, your weekly radio show host of the Spirit Seeker Hour, brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. Spirit Seeker Magazine has been on the front lines of spirituality and um, working with ways to enhance the mind, body, and spirit for over 22 years. Uh, We started off with a um, magazine in St. Louis, Missouri, and then we migrated to Kansas City and then went uh, north to Chicago, and we are now in Chicago, St. Louis, West Palm Beach, Florida, and we have been read digitally online since 1998. We, um, we are published each and every month, and we have the weekly radio show, and in addition, we have a weekly email newsletter that lets you know about wonderful events that are happening throughout the United States and into Canada, and then we also let you know when the magazine is online and um, where you can find us. We, we attend and sponsor many events, and um, so some of the events that you will find us at uh, upcoming is that we will be... Um, believe it or not, at Witches Night Out with 4,000 women who attend that event, handing out magazines next Friday night, and then we will be at the Crossroads uh, Metaphysical Fair in St. Louis next Saturday and Sunday. We will be in Springfield, Illinois, the the following first weekend of November, and uh, at the Awaken uh, Awake Conference. And um, Cindy Meyer, yours truly, will be the featured keynote speaker uh, at that conference. And I will be speaking on Saturday and on Sunday. The following weekend, uh, you will find us in Columbia, Missouri at a holistic conference um, at Good Nature. There's so many other events. We are like, You would think November would slow down, but it actually feels like it's speeding up. Um, so you can find Spirit Seeker at all of those wonderful events as well as all of the other locations and, of course, the digital online edition. Okay, last announcement be, uh, before I bring my guests on. Um, the last announcement is, in order to be eligible for the free books that we give and the free DVDs and tickets to events, um, you need to be one of our email subscribers. We never sell our list. It's sacrosanct. You'll just hear from us and you know on the the other events um, that are happening, but no one else is going to get your email. So in order, um, we just need you to send an email to info, info at spiritseeker.com and um, ask to be added, or you can go to the spiritseeker.com uh, site, and there's a, a little button there. It says join our email newsletter, and you can sign from there, and then you are on. You are golden, and hopefully you'll you'll get some wonderful you know gift from us. We uh, we are very blessed with working with many many authors and you know musicians. We have CDs. We have um, you know DVD movie reviews that we do. We just have so many things, and we like to bless our readers and our subscribers. Okay, so that is it. So tonight we are going to be. Um, Hearing from two of three authors, uh, the title of the book is Order of the Sacred Earth, An Intergenerational Vision of Love and Action. So tonight we will have Skylar Wilson and Jennifer, uh, I don't know if I'm saying this right, Lustig, um, who were two of the three authors. The other is Matthew Fox, but he was unavailable to join us this evening. To give you just a little bit of information, and um, our, the guests will give you the rest, Skylar Wilson is uh, a 34-year-old Rites of Passage Guide who recently became a father. He has worked as a mentor for over 10 years with teenagers and adults in a number of capacities, including the Stepping Stones Project in the Bay Area to lead youth, train leaders, and initiate elders 
within a community-based, long-term intergenerational mentoring model. He is co-author with Matthew Fox of the book, Order of the Sacred Earth, um, an intergenerational vision of love and action, and co-director of the order. Jennifer Barrett Lustig is a 29-year-old writes a passage guide who also works in book publishing as a writing coach for authors. She is a recent mother as well as co-director of Wild Awakening. For years, Jennifer has served on the board at the Unity in uh, Marin Spiritual Community where she is a guest speaker and writes a passage guide. She, um, as I mentioned before, um, she is one of the three co-authors um, with Matthew Fox on the book, The Order of the Sacred Earth. Okay, so I am going to bring my guest on. Hello, and who has joined us? This is Skylar. Good to be with Hi, you. Hi, Skylar. Yeah, thank you so much for being um, my guest this evening. And what was it like to write this book with Matthew Fox? I mean, um, you know, I followed his work for a long time, and it was nice to to to, to hear about you and um, Jennifer. Um, and I have a feeling this is Jennifer. So I'm going to have you talk, and I will be – can you just talk a little bit, and I'll be right there, okay? Sure, happy to, yeah. All right, thank you. Great. Yes. Yeah, so writing the book Order of the Sacred Earth was was a a long and and deep process. It it came to Matthew and I both in in dreams um, several years ago, and has since developed into it, we 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 took it on as an emergent process where we weren't sure what it was. We just felt this call to bring together together an intergenerational community and to start to explore what an order that's postmodern and non-religious but inclusive of religion might look like and for the purpose of connecting to the earth at this important time. And Jennifer has been an integral part of it as well. And, um, and I can let her speak about that if she's here. Yes, Jennifer is here. So, Jennifer, um, Skyler was just giving just a little bit of background about how he became involved um, in, in, you know, this vision and that then, you know, led to this book. So anything you'd like to share about how you became um, involved and just, you know, your your vision with this? Yeah, so Skyler and Matthew um, both had dreams about it. And um, I actually had a waking dream about a very similar vision. And this was in my involvement with a spiritual community that I grew up in, Unity and Marin. So as a young adult, I was involved, and I ended up starting um, a young adult sort of um, community service volunteer and discussion group in that community. And slowly but surely over time, I found that I wasn't attracting people into this group um, from the community, but I was attracting some of my peers and people that I met around town who were between 18 and 35, who a lot of them weren't, didn't consider them spiritual, definitely not religious. We had several people who considered themselves atheists, but they were looking for a more intentional way to gather with their peers, both in community and in service. And, um, and so that group just grew and grew and got really rich and really deep. And so when I heard about Matthew and Skylar's vision, 
I, something, a light bulb went off for me, and I thought, this is what I've been experiencing. Um, so many people, especially people in the younger generation, are looking for a new form of community, a new form of spiritual community that is not religious, that is not dogmatic, and that has a really strong, um, you know, vision of serving and, and giving back. So that was my waking dream about this. So when they told me about the dreams they'd had, I thought, yeah, this is it. <laughs> Wow. So, um, okay, so it started with all three of you connecting, and then what what happened from there? Well, I had been working with, um, with, with Matthew on uh, the Cosmic Mass for, I think, something around the, the last six years. It's been something like that. And... Um, and so we produced many of them around the country, and that's also how how I met Jennifer. She came and um, worked with us at a Cosmic Mass. Um, but the first one that we we did, um, I helped to bring back the Cosmic Mass after um, a little dormant period. And um, and so we, for those who don't know, the Cosmic Mass is an intergenerational ritual where we bring different spiritual traditions together from shamanic traditions to mystical traditions, East and West. And we create an embodied ritual that includes dancing, which is the most common form of, of ritual um, from postmodern times, tribal times, um, throughout our history as humans. And so we, we did that and we recreate a mass, um, a Catholic mass, and but with an indigenous twist. And so we invite lots of different mystical and indigenous teachers to help um, to co-lead that. And there's been as many as 1,400 people that have come to, to them. We've done them in Washington, D.C. and all over the country, and, um, but its home is, is in Oakland. And so working on that was, um, I think over time, was definitely the foundation from which this vision grew. And um, as well as, as some of my work, our work, Jennifer and my work with Wild Awakenings, um, and the Stepping Stones Project um, with rites of passage and just working with elders and youth and, and, and through over time just feeling how there's a, an awakening happening where people are connecting deeply with themselves and the earth in, in a, an old, ancient, but also new way. So it's, um, that's, been, that's how, how we all met and a part of the actual um, experience that inspired this vision. So with the cosmic mass, um, Skylar, with the intergenerational, um, interspiritual, I should say, dance ritual um, that Matthew mm-hmm. started, it, and that's kind of like the core of this part of the, part the, of the gel that brings everyone together? Well, it, it's what we were doing before we did this, and, so, and we're still doing it. We're actually going to go to Toronto to the Parliament of the World's Religions, um, in two weeks to do one for um, the people there. But um, I, it's, this isn't directly connected to the cosmic mass, although we, we see ritual as being a foundation of, of education. It's for, for all of our ancestry, it's ritual was the way that we came together and created a, a coherent form of community, a, a, a common mind and heart and, um, and so we, we do see ritual as being a part of this, uh, and there's so many different kinds, but really the core of it is to come around a central focus, which is, is reawakening 
right now the sense of the sacred. And Thomas Berry says that, that we won't protect nor love the earth or anything else until we rediscover our connection with the sacred. And, um, and we believe that's true. And that's why the focus of the order of the sacred earth, the, the vow that we ask those who've meditated on it and who are wanting to participate with this movement at a deeper level to commit to the one vow, I vow to be the best lover and defender of the earth that I can be. So that's really what it's about. And, so you, and I, so I'd love you to have, speak a little. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Jennifer. Go to, right ahead. To, the, to kind of sort of the linear process of how this came about. Um, of course, we all knew each other from the cosmic mass, but um, when the three of us had, had our various forms of dreams about this, uh, we were kind of thinking, you know, it, it didn't feel like we were creating something as much as we were naming something that we were feeling in the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. And so Matthew's mm-hmm. idea, because he's written something like 36 other books, was, well, why don't we write a book about this and see w- how it lands and see what discussions it starts. And so we wrote our essays and then ended up actually sending a call out to our greater communities with this idea and asking how, if other people felt the same way or if they had had similar visions. And we got a huge amount of feedback. And so you'll notice in the book, the first half of it is Matthew and Skylar and I but the second half is dozens, a dozen or so other essays from, um, from all kinds of different people and all kinds of different backgrounds who also had a vision about this. And that's how the mm-hmm. book came together. And from the book, it has really started to kind of seed out in, in the world. Um, since we released, we had an early edition of the book um, that came out about a year ago. And since then, we've, uh, we've noticed the sprouting of what we're calling Order of the Sacred Earth Pods. And these are spontaneous communities that have formed around this vision all over the world, um, primarily in the United States, um, of people who have read the book, are inspired by the vision, have had a similar vision, and are taking it into their communities. Uh, So it's been a very, very organic forming, and that's been part of our vision with this new order, is not that we call it um, emergent and co-creative, because we didn't come up with some structure and set of rules like religions and orders of the past. We are naming a vision and letting every individual community, as they feel fit um, in their bioregion, create their own structure and form. And we're all connecting online um, through our website, through events that we do throughout the country. Does that answer your question a little bit? <laughs> it, it absolutely does. And, you know, I yeah. find it fascinating that right now we have more single people on planet Earth than ever in the whole history. We have more mm-hmm. elderly. You know, I'm I'm 63. You know, I, um, you know, I'm a little bit different in that I have a, tw- a 20-year-old son and then I have, you know, up. 33, 30, and then 20, but then I raised four stepchildren, and they're like in their Mm -hmm. 50s and 40s. And so, you know, I mean, a lot of people are like, you don't seem 63, and and part of it is Mm -hmm. the fact that when you hang with younger people, you are, (laughs) you know, and that's that intergenerational piece that was so fascinating with this work. I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. oh, oh." and then, you know, the people who Mm -hmm. contributed some of the other chapters, I mean, I mean, look at the fascinating backgrounds of, of the diversity of the knowledge and the study and the yoga and the, you know, you know, uh, Buddhism and all, all the knowledge of all the people coming together in this community. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a very rich, rich community. And I think that the, the common vow being something that's so foundational to our humanity, the, the earth and that sustains us and seeing the earth specifically as 
a conscious being is, is something that so many people can connect to in their own way. And that's, that's what I think you're alluding to is that there's so many different angles that people are, um, that take in the book. And I think like Jennifer said, in, that's in the zeitgeist right now, um, so many different ways in which to organize uh, yourself and your own gifts according in, in connection with this movement. Right. Well, and they, they, you know, they're, how do I put this? I think so many people are missing a sense of connection. And, mm-hmm. you know, I look at, I look totally. at the hospice, you know, hospice. Okay. So I, I don't know. I've always been fascinated with hospice. I wrote a paper on it like over 35 years ago because it was before it was even in the United States. And, you know, it came from the French and the French were like, why do we have to take our people and put them in hospitals? And they no, we're going to find a way to make it very humane and compassionate. And then this person can be with the people who love them. And, you know, we've gotten so far away from the multi-generational honoring of the earth, honoring of the elders, Mm. honoring of the youth, honor, you know what I mean? And it's like, so this whole, yeah, this, and then sacred earth, you know, I mean, let's just hear some of the stories, anything you want to share of just some of the magical things that you've seen that has come from the awakening and people coming together in this way with your book as the guide. Well, I'd love to speak a little bit um, more about the intergenerational component, and that kind of works into the magic that I'm feeling with this book. Um, One of the things that Matthew talks about in in his essay is not just the value, sort of the emotional and community value of having elders and working together, but that, um, that elderhood is actually what allowed the human species to evolve. If you think about early humans, um, they lived among other human-like, you know, creatures like Neanderthal. And he says, why did humans evolve to the intelligent beings that we are now? Because we started living longer. And so at some point, we, instead of having just two generations, or in some species, just one generation living at one time, we had three generations. That meant we had this whole community of people who had lived on the planet so long, they were able to pass down vital wisdom to the younger generations about how to survive, about how to be a human in this very vulnerable world. And, and mm-hmm. so we, it, it's actually a crisis that we are missing that, that um, invaluable relationship between generations now in our world that really idolizes the youth and kind of, you know, youth grow up in a, in a culture that tells them elders don't really have any value, that you're never going to be able to relate to them. That was certainly my experience of trying to interact with my elders when I was a young child. There was, there was a, just kind of a learned lack of respect. Um, so one of the things that I've really seen people come alive around this idea of intergenerational, if the book was about nothing else, um, people are really stepping up. And, uh, for instance, we're going to be leading a workshop at a conscious aging conference next weekend um, about intergenerational wisdom. They invited us to come in as youth, as, a, as someone in their 20s and 30s, to speak at their um, conference about conscious aging because they, they're feeling the need to, you know, encourage the generational connection too. So that's been mm-hmm. a, a really uh, sort of unexpected and magical story for me is how um, people from 16 to 85 are coming together around um, this new movement forming and really wanting to connect in a way that hasn't been encouraged um, in our culture. Mm-hmm. No, we just, you know, I mean, it used to be, oh, that's the, you know, the establishment. I mean, we're going back a ways. Oh, that's the establishment. And no, oh, you know, and then, and then now all those baby boomers that 
were young and thought the old people were old are now old. And it's like, mm. okay, so mm. how do we – and there's the biggest mass exodus of people going into retirement of any time in the history of our of our country. It's like all of a sudden mm. we have all these people that are, like, retired and they have time on their hands – and they're and many of them just don't even know what to do, and so mm-hmm. you know, it, you know, mm-hmm. it's hard to explain. But I know you know what I'm talking about. So mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. intergenerational of of respecting and honoring and finding mm-hmm. a way for everyone to like really link up. It's powerful what you're offering here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I think the most powerful thing, similar to what Jennifer just said, but is that we, we come from very different worlds. The world was very different 50 years ago. Even five years ago was very different. And so, mm-hmm. you know, with the high school students that I, that I work with on a regular basis every week, work in a public high school in Roanoke Park, California, and, and I'm, I, I feel the, the similarities. Like I, I'm reminded, oh, this is what it was like to be in high school. And there's so many things that are totally different and like they all have tinder accounts on on their phones and not just to, it's a dating app but it's not even just to date but it's for fun and so things like that that totally shift the culture of um of the youth and then for adults like you mentioned that there's there's more time that they they may have on their hands um hopefully if they can retire you know not everybody can but but one of the the great um, the great things about that that I can see is is that they could they could start to give their energy towards towards seeing and mirroring and supporting the youth and towards the shift in culture that needs to happen now, and they can do so as a gift and and what a great gift it is that also gives back to them and helps them to stay young and engaged and to be energized by by the needs of the youth, which, which are like a fire that needs fuel, needs wood, needs um, food. And so I, I know for myself that I couldn't, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for my elders. And, and I could speak about that in so many different ways, but, but um, just to even name Matthew Fox, I've been working with him for a long time now. And, and just to, to feel, to work with him so closely and to see the the wisdom that he's gained, which is which is huge, through his study, through all of his work, but then also some of the gaps, some of the places where we differ in our opinions, and oftentimes the you need a container or some kind of um, a mentorship is that, and a vow is that, and an order is that, and those are things that allow us to 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 be in friction and and some of the learning places where. Without that, it's like, well, nope, I don't really want to deal with that. It's, 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 um, it's too hard to connect across this generational difference. And so that's, that's been some of my insights about from working on this project and with Matthew and at school. Well, I know. I've read his books for years. I mean, he's, you know, he just offers wisdom. So I knew when he partnered with the two of you, I'm like, oh, okay. What do we have here? You know, because, um, you know, he's just just very, very wise. And then, you know, and you were, you know, one of the things I read, whatever whatever your um, um, ginger sent me, was something about you meet regularly with a core group of 15 
15 young adults ages 18 to 35 I think it was um and and what is that like do you do you have like an agenda or do you come together and you, you have points of things that you want to address but then there's a um everyone like almost like a town hall meeting like a Quaker meeting or something or how how do you run these meetings I'm just curious yeah uh well I'm actually not meeting are you are you talking about the young adult group that I refer yeah. to Yes, I'm not actually uh, meeting with them anymore because I had moved after I started that group. Um, But it was a very organic meeting, and it was all um, self-led. So I facilitated the groups because I had some training in safe facilitation, which um, it does, it takes quite a lot um, of of finesse to hold sacred space in in a really safe way uh, when all kinds of things can come up. But um, but every week, uh, one of the, the members of the group would sign up to lead the discussion for the next week, and it would all be on them. Um, I would sit there and hold space and open up my home. We would meet in, um, in my living room because that felt, um, for all of us, much better than meeting in a church. But, um, mm-hmm. and, and then same with the, with the service projects. Um, we would just open up the table, and anyone who had a project that felt important to them and um, felt um, valuable – they would they would kind of pitch it to us and we'd mostly all agree and and go out and serve together um, and that was actually how I first got connected with Matthew and Skyler was um, we all we volunteered at the Cosmic Mass <laughs> mm-hmm. um, wow and mm-hmm. it was always much more yeah. rich to let the content come from um, the people in the group themselves rather than me as the leader always mm-hmm. sort of I don't know lecturing or preaching or something I do see that mm-hmm. really as the next form of um, spiritual community is. Real mm-hmm. community, community leadership. Mm-hmm. And just, just to add a little bit to that, the, the main structure that I've used in all of the groups that I've led um, has been council. And I was taught the way of council through the Ojai Foundation, but there's, there's a lot of places where it comes from. It's, it's kind of, um, there's many ways to do it. The things that I've found are the most helpful to reiterate is to have to have a circle and to there's four principles, which is to speak from the heart, listen from the heart, be spontaneous. And that means to not rethink too much about what you're going to say, but to trust that the group is holding you and you can, you can allow whatever is true in that moment to come out and then to be brief. So not to, and this is, this is a good, a good lesson for elders too, because they have so much wisdom and so much to share that oftentimes they can overrun a young person's attention span. And so being brief is, is really important is to, you know, keep your share within, you know, if it's, if it's a longer space that you're holding, like some, some of the workshops and retreats and wilderness trips that we do are a week long. In those cases, we'll work up to a longer council where everyone can share for as long as they want. But, but for the initial councils, they're short, you know, sharing for a couple minutes, you know. And so it's just a really great way, like, like Jennifer said, to allow the wisdom of the group to start to come out and to shape where we go and not have like a, a piece of paper saying, okay, well, you know, at 9.30, we're going to do this, this, and this, and at 10, we're going to do this and this, you know, having a, a rough outline, but allowing the, the group to go where it needs to go. And oftentimes I've found that it, it's really transformational and powerful to do that. Well, that's what I kind of envisioned. And I wondered if that's how this, um, you know, to have that many creative minds all together and feel safe enough to, 
like, you know, which is what you were talking about, creating the safety in the container and everyone um, feeling that they're part of it and they're heard. But, you know, mm-hmm. um, and you are right. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it can be an older person. Sometimes it's a younger person who just rambles on and yeah. on, you know, and, and you know they've lost mm-hmm. everything. So, um, mm-hmm. but but the whole thing is, is that, so many of our elderly are isolated. They're, their children mm-hmm. live across the country. You know, they're, you know, I mean, it's just, I mean, and then when they do go into perhaps a home with other people, if they're mm-hmm. young and, you know, if they're still vital and everything, and then they're with people who are much older, it's hard. It's, it's mm-hmm. when you can have energy, generational respect and honoring, it's a whole different ballgame. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and we're, we're hoping that, that different forms like like the order of the sacred earth and the different pods within that emerge within the order can help to create a structure for connecting youth with elders and um and so although our families are you know this world has become so globalized and our families get dispersed and there's many good things about that the freedom to to travel and to migrate and to pursue visions and dreams and um goals and vocations but one of the, the things that's missing is, like you say, we don't have those tight-knit communities like we, we have throughout our history where you are born and die usually in a, the same place or somewhere nearby. And, and so you, you know each other really well. And the mirroring and the, the remembering that's possible when, when everybody's living together and seeing each other and holding each other accountable. But we can recreate that now um, in our own way in different ways um, by, by asking for it and coming together to create these, these kinds of groups and um, making the space to mentor, to go on a walk or to, to sit with somebody who's of a, of a different age and to get counsel, to get um, support. I think it's really important. So um, let's take it in just a little bit of a different direction. Um, because part of my, if my understanding, part of the order of the sacred earth is to honor environmentalism and to teach the the respect and honoring. Um, and so, how how does your approach? It's a spiritual approach to honoring the earth and and bringing people together to honor. Um, what are you? What are what are the thoughts on the spiritual approach to honoring um, and to and to change and, and especially right now? On planet Earth, when we have the EPA being dissolved, we have all mm-hmm. the things that were there now being undone. I mean, being denied like basic scientific principles of if we don't take care of the Earth, we're going to be in a crisis. I mean, so mm-hmm. can you just expound, expand or you know expound just to share a little bit about how mm-hmm. your order is making really a difference just in the awakening of the consciousness of these people coming together, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm going to be, I'm going to be quiet yeah. and let you two talk. Okay. No, okay. that's exactly it. And, and thank you. Cause this is my favorite question. And, and my really short answer is spirituality is exactly what's missing from our environmental movement. The, the environmental movement, I think even of all social justice movements, is so focused on the doom and gloom of the real scary scientific facts, which are real and are scary. Um, it just, it, it, it creates hopelessness. It, you know, people 
are so overwhelmed by the very terrifying reality of our current global situation, it's hard to have the energy to get up and fight on behalf of an earth that looks like it's past the point of no return. Don't, I mean, don't you experience that? Um, and, and mm-hmm. you know, I always go back to one of Einstein's um, famous quotes. Um, I, I'm just paraphrasing, but it's something like, we cannot solve a problem with the same thinking that created it. And right. that's how I feel about our, our environmental situation, but changing the idea of thinking into consciousness, right? We can't solve mm-hmm. a problem in the same consciousness that created it. And the consciousness, postmodern world and the you know, capitalist-driven world and the materialistic world um, is not going to, I think Joanna Macy calls it the business-as-usual story, that, you know, we're just going to keep doing our thing and using up all our resources because it's much easier than changing. Um, that consciousness is not ever going to make the leap, the extraordinary leap that we need to make as a world. Mm-hmm. Shifting our consci- consciousness and awakening our consciousness, yes, maybe we have a hope of turning things around. And I believe that a change in consciousness as massive as is needed right now requires, requires spirituality, which to me is whatever, whoever you are, it's your individual way of connecting to that which is greater than you or to that mystery mm-hmm. or to that feeling of, of, of unlimited, unconditional love. And if we can mm-hmm. bring that consciousness into our scary scientific fact and a very painful world for most people to live in right now, then maybe we have a chance. But we mm-hmm. need to bridge these two worlds. Um, we can't mm-hmm. think of our, the, all the news and the um, politics around the environmental movement right now as something separate from our individual connection to source or mystery. Um, and that's mm-hmm. one of the, the visions of the order is to find, create context though we don't know exactly what that looks like right now, where these two mm-hmm. worlds start coming together and dancing with one another um, so that that shift of consciousness can um, start to emerge. Mm-hmm. And j- just to add, I think that you, you said it very powerfully and clearly, J- Jennifer, but just to add that, um, that it's, it's really about shifting our center, center of gravity in a really big way to where we, move out of our anthropocentrism, out of our, our human centeredness and start to lean into the, the voices of the earth, the voices of the more than human world and to allow ourselves to be guided by that. And so that, that really, I mean, spirituality, if, if anything for me is just asking the question, you know, who are we, why are we here? And, and then listening. And so, in doing that, we can actually recreate ourselves. I believe we humans are intelligent enough to do that, but it's going to take a real rite of passage. And you mentioned hospice, and that's the biggest rite of passage of all is 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 death. Um, and, but there's all these little rites of passage that in this moment, what do I need to let go of? And what do I need in order for me to move into something more whole and more inclusive of all of the all of the different beings that are, part of my day-to-day life and beyond. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's really, it's not something we can do alone and it's not something that we necessarily know, know how to speak about and to fall into in a way that's, that's even close to, um, to, to good enough to, you know, to, to start to engage, engage in this way. But I, I think that, that with, with practice and with, some humility we can we can start to move out of our own 
preoccupation with ourselves and into a more mature form of being human. We're, we're not all that old as a species. And, and we, although we like to think of ourselves as being um, so intelligent, so smart, um, you know, I, I, there's a lot of gaps. There's a shadow that that casts and, um, and, and I don't see any way that we're going to get through this mess without facing that shadow and, and growing up. Well, I agree. And, um, and I, I like um, one of the things that um, I read that Matthew Fox said is it's appropriate that young adults lead a movement that is as much about the future as OSE is. And he was talking about little baby river. I'm assuming this is your child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and, and yeah. Yeah, I, I, I love that name. I have a friend uh, who named her her son River, but I was like, oh, baby River. <laughs> it was just very sweet. <laughs> but um, but how Matthew talked about the children, the newest generation, mm-hmm. um, are the recipients either of our efforts to heal the earth or our continued neglecting to do so. And then I really like how mm-hmm. he talks about true morality means thinking about the children seven generations from today while paying attention to those mm-hmm. alive today. And, you know, and I've said mm-hmm. this from, for many times lately with everything going on, I'm like, oh, my goodness, our children and our children's children are going to be inheriting, like, a lot of the mess that we're creating right now. And not to, not mm-hmm. to affirm it and, like, make it, like, even worse than it is, but it's like, where is our consciousness as as stewards mm-hmm. of the planet to not like to, to like say stop like wait a minute what are mm-hmm. we doing and you know it is it is it's going to take all of us to come together to really reframe reframe this and so many mm-hmm. people have lost touch like with nature you know I, mm-hmm. I they just they get in their cars they go to work they go into a parking garage they go into a building they go into the building they go into an office they go into an office it, it's like they just have lost touch or people who all these people who just oh I can't breathe the air I'm allergic oh my goodness you know and <laughs> and so, so you know people coming together like you are and writing a book like this and giving someone like a manual or an idea of the sacred order and how to go from here and how to create this is fabulous. You know, we need, we need what you guys are doing. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. We, we feel like we need it too. And we're, we've been really Mm -hmm. excited by the, by the response we've been receiving. Yeah. Including yours. Mm -hmm. So, So with the elders, what are some stories of, um, I, I mean, because, you know, like I have this, um, it's actually my former husband, I guess it's okay to talk about this, I don't think he'd mind. You know, he was a very <laughs> busy man all of his life and, you know, had six children. And um, in his retirement, he is mentoring children with reading because he had a challenge himself with reading. So he goes to the elementary school and he has certain students he works with. But then he also goes into the inner city and um, works with children who they learn how to ride a bike, they learn how to change the Mm. tires, they learn how to do everything, and then once they've mastered all of that, they're given a bike. And, Mm. you know, and I also, you know, was very involved in um, intergenerational uh, ways of working with the community and children, and there was this program called Oasis where uh, we partnered with communities with school buses that would pick up the elderly along with the kids in the morning. The elderly would be like at the bus stop and then they would go to the school and then they would they would do tutoring for the kids. 
And we did this all over. It was like a pilot program, and then we got it expanded. I mean, we're talking about 20 years ago. This was a long time ago. But, but the point is, is that the, the elderly felt needed and wanted and useful, and the children benefit. It was like so back and forth. So would you mm-hmm. two be kind enough to share just, just one or two stories of where you've just seen, wow, this is why we do what we do? Hmm. Whatever comes to mind. Yeah. Well, the first first one that came to mind for me was um was one of my my elders who I've worked with on on two different groups with the Stepping Stones project in in the Bay Area and the groups have gone for about th- two and a half three years each and um and Bob our elder um wonderful man um he would, we would have, have councils and as the group would get deeper, you know, there would be space to really talk about real things. And I just remember Bob would, would always tear up and just show what it's like to be vulnerable and tear up about, about how good it feels to know and to be in touch with such, such amazing young, young guys who, you know, we're mentoring and who were mentoring us. And so, just being in the presence of um, it was very transformational all throughout for me and for, for the, the youth and for, for Bob, our elder in that specific group. And he was often the, he, he almost modeled being the youngest of all of us. And, you know, here were these teenagers who are striving to, you know, get, get more freedom and to, to get cars and to get on their own and, and here's me kind of looking back and sort of giving them a hand. And here's Bob at the end of his life in his, in his eighties. And he's just, he's just happy to be alive and, and becoming more and more young as he gets older and more unguarded. And, you know, the layers are just able to peel. peel off. And so I felt like it was, um, it was, it was him being initiated into his next phase or as he got close to death and in that process, like you were saying on the bus, it was totally reciprocal because he was showing, these boys who, whenever Bob spoke, they would really listen because they could just feel his, his depth. And, um, and it was just a beautiful thing. And, and those moments, which happened almost every time, um, just, I would leave the, the group meeting um, feeling like, wow, like, I don't know what just happened, but, but wow, that was, that was rich. And, and so that's just one example, but there's, um, you know, I imagine other, other ways too of, of dealing with the practical things in life. And, but, but it's really important to first, um, or at least simultaneously to make some space for some ritual and for, to get drop in deeply, um, as humans together and, and, and share. And that's just one example. Skylar, anything you want to add? No, that was Skylar. Jennifer, anything you want to add? Yeah, sure. You know, so what came up immediately for me, and I'll I'll go ahead and run with it. It's not specifically about eldering, um, but it happened. It was a moment, a very sweet moment that happened this summer when the book came out. We were um, giving a talk at our local bookstore, and um, it was really well received. We had a huge crowd there, like standing in the back and filling out the door kind of crowd. And we we talked about the book, all of these inspiring ideas that we're talking about today. And then we had a little Q&A. And 
a man, the first man to stand up. You know, it's always a little crunchy when you start a Q&A. There tends to be this kind of awkward silence because no one wants to be the first one to ask a question. Um, and this man stood up, and he looked at us, and he was silent. And then he kind of started talking, and what became clear immediately was that he had a very extreme stutter, and he really struggled to get out what he was trying to say. And it wasn't even a question. What he, it was basically an affirmation of the work that we were doing. Um, he said something to the effect of, we need this, this is important, and he cited this study about that had been done when it was something like, I don't know, thousands of people in different parts of the world uh, meditated at the same time for, you know, two hours, and, and there was less violence that day in the world. Um, and he, so he was just affirming the work that we're doing. But it was such a struggle for him to get that out with his, with his um, you know, uh, uh, stutter. And, and at one point, he almost started tearing up and, and completely froze. Um, I don't know if you remember that, Skylar, but, um, mm-hmm. I and I, I was listening to what he was saying, but mostly I was just completely in that moment, completely dropped into my heart and, and feeling his presence and feeling his passion for the work that we were asking people to be a part of. And, and that was exactly that moment. Like you said, this is why I'm doing this work. Frankly, I was exhausted mm-hmm. that day. We have a one-year-old baby, and he has been keeping us up for a year. We haven't slept <laughs> through the night in 14 months and counting. And, and there were days that I just wanted to stop. I didn't want to be at the event. I didn't want to be selling books. I didn't want to be talking about saving the world. And I looked at this man who just to stand up and speak his truth was a struggle for him, and yet he did it because this work inspired him. And I thought, oh, my God, this is why we're doing this. This right. is truly bringing mm-hmm. people out of their comfort zone and, 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 you know, stepping into the scary and the unknown um, on behalf of, of um, making this world a better place. This is why we're doing this. And, you know, that man knew what you were trying to say by sharing, like, I know exactly what he's talking about. There was a study done where the transcendental meditators went to Washington, D.C., and they sat on the White mm-hmm. House lawn. And they meditated collectively. Oh, wow. I forgot how many were there for like two hours. And they measured the crime, mm-hmm. crime and everything. It went out. Mm-hmm. It, it went out more than a hundred miles. Crime decreased, violence decreased, everything because they were focusing on peace. Wow. And so mm-hmm. here's this man who knew exactly what you guys were trying to create, and he's trying to explain it. And and you mm-hmm. guys were patient with him and let him get it out. You know. And it's like this is mm-hmm. that intergenerational, and and. Mm-hmm. Not having the rules of a church and dogma, like just we're all mm-hmm. here together, sacred stewards of the earth. And um, mm-hmm. wow. So I'm going to read something from Matthew Fox. Um, and the question to him was, what do you hope to accomplish with OSE? And his response was to light a fire for the elders so they do not, they do not fall into the trap of retirement, but into a lively state of refirement and the young to wake up and get moving. The earth as we know it is dying right now before our eyes with our blind and self-serving and in-denial politicians and corporate fossil fuel billionaires notwithstanding. It is time for all hands on deck, young and old and in between. And then he continues with um, the crisis. This crisis is an opportunity. This apocalypse is also a revelation a taking mm-hmm. off of the veils of illusion that we are wrapped in. We can work together, people of all religious traditions and none 
uh, and none, along with scientists and inventors and artists and business people and politicians and the media and educators to save our species and the earth and so many other species on it. We can and must reinvent economics, education, religious, religion, rather, politics, media, um, now and uh, and the way to do that is to ignite a fire of re, re, uh, rediscovery. Well, recovery actually, he said, but I look at it as rediscovery, but of the sacred. Um, so we have to realize and all come together and be on it that the earth is sacred, and with all uh, with all its bodies in it, and we must reconnect with the cosmos. And so you know, by our actions and lifestyles and. This to me, I thought, okay, that says it all, like right there. It's that's like, the summary, <laughs> right? That's it. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. one little paragraph, and it's like, okay, you know. But but refirement mm-hmm. isn't that fabulous? Like, what do you want to use your energy now mm-hmm. for? And you know, I was at a at mm-hmm. a going away dinner for my daughter, and I don't know, all six of the kids and all kinds of people were there, and um, it was right, right. I don't know, it was it was a politically active time when people were like in shock, okay, in our country. And I'm not going to go into all that because it's not really what it's about. But I remember my um, my stepson, who's now in his 50s and has um, a little three-year-old, and a, he had an infant that had just been born. And he was 49 when he had the first one and 50 when he had the second. And, and I said, well, what do you think about blah, blah, blah? And he looked at me and he said, you know what, Cindy? I go to work in the morning. I'm working on my master's. I go to school at night and on the weekends. I come home, and I spend as much time as I can with my wife and my kids. And he says, I'm going to be totally honest. I vote, and that's about all the energy I have. That's that's it. And I looked at him, and I said, I get it. And you were doing exactly what you need to do right now. You were like, because he's a fabulous father mm-hmm. and, and husband and mm-hmm. all of it. And I mm-hmm. and he's, these kids are just so sweet. And I said, you were doing everything correctly like you're on board mm-hmm. that's the most important thing is stewarding those precious children and you know doing whatever you can to you know enable like your your wife to stay home with them and like steward them you're doing everything right i said but i'm at this point in my life where i have more time now even though i still work full time and beyond i have more time mm-hmm. let me take up that part of it because i can be an activist for all of us, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I have that time, and I said, you're doing what you need to do. But I think that what Matthew was saying, the young people need to wake up and get moving, I think it's, I think it's like so multi-layered. You start, like, with your family, and then you have your friends, and, you know, it's just mm-hmm. we all do the best we can, but coming together in a multi-generational mm-hmm. way in which you guys are, you know, really encouraging my gosh, you don't lose the wisdom. Like that guy saying, look, mm-hmm. meditation for two hours on world peace and everything like changed. We could we could find a way to bring something like that into what we're doing. You know, it's like, how beautiful. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, funny. And, that made me think of, oh, go ahead, Skylar. No, you, you can go. Oh, I was just, um, just this um, idea that we need to come together in community to make these changes and how essential community is to this process. Really, we no one person can, can make this shift. And you said that already, it takes all of us. And um, Mm -hmm. it was just funny. It reminded me of this. um, um, I can't remember where I read it, but this study I was just reading about, um, about how people's behavior changes just when they are being witnessed 
Um, people will be kinder, more gentle, you know, pick up the trash on the floor, do the right thing. Even if um, there, there's another person in the room and not saying anything. And um, I, it just, there is like this kind of deep seated psychological, psychological components in needing support in making these, um, these epic leaps in consciousness and changing sort of everything about our society, like Matthew was listing there. Um, and, mm-hmm. and just the, just how essential um, being together in community is, even if your role in that community right now is raising your child, which that's a lot of what Skylar and I are doing right now. <laughs> yeah. So thanks which, for bringing that and, in. Right. And you're tired, but you're still doing it. But you know that this mm-hmm. too shall pass, and this beautiful little baby river is probably bringing so much love and joy to everyone. Um, yeah, you know. so much love, love and joy, and he he actually helps us to get, for me, he helps me to get out of the way of my, you know, my ego, myself, to where I, I just don't have time for for anything that's superfluous right now, it's like, it's like either immediately like about sustaining him, giving him food or us, you know, or, you know, or getting on the interview without preparing and just like letting, letting it, letting it be what it is. And that's enough. And, and I think that that's, um, for me, that's, it's really powerful because I, I do think that if, if we each do, a little it will add up to a lot and and as we start to make these sort of deeper psychological and spiritual shifts the the support that we need will come to meet us we'll find that that things are starting to flow perhaps a little bit more smoothly or we people are giving themselves you know helping us in ways that we couldn't have anticipated and um what's that wh murray quote that you you quote at the beginning yeah. of your well, Jennifer, that was so good. Thank, yeah, thanks for bringing this around. I, I would love to talk a little bit more about something that we just kind of scratched the surface of, which is the core of this order that we write about and that we're um, helping build right now is the vow that we all take. Um, so W.H. Murray, let's see if I can get the quote. He was a Scottish mountaineer in the 18th century, and he said, um, it's actually a fairly famous quote that's usually misattributed to Goethe, but he says, um, until one is committed, there is hesitancy, the chance to draw back, always ineffectiveness. Concerning all acts of initiative, which this definitely is, an act of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans, that the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves to. And this is the core and the value of, of the, the center of the whole order, which is to take a vow. And that vow is, I vow to be the best lover and defender of the earth I can be. And, of course, there's a lot in there. Um, Matthew talks a lot about orders of history, um, both Christian, which, you know, those are very familiar, the Franciscans, the Dominicans. And um, if you look, all great religions and wisdom traditions have had orders come up in times of crises um, that brought about, you know, social, political, theological awakening um, in their communities. And most orders have vows, um, you know, the three, the three kind of common ones, the vow of poverty, the vow of obedience, the vow of celibacy. So in the order of the sacred earth, we reinterpret those vows, um, you know, adapting them to our time. So when we talk about poverty, this, you know, we're talking about not being poor, but living simply and living sustainably. 
And you talk about obedience, we're talking about not, you know, um, pledging allegiance to one single authority or deity. We're talking about new models of community leadership. And, and of course, celibacy, um, those vows were very important in a time without birth control. But now we look at a vow of celibacy as more of a vow of honoring the sacred in sexuality even. Um, so, so the reason we have the one simple vow, I vow to be the best lover and defender of the earth I can be, is like W.H. Murray says, when you make that commitment, which we have, and we held a ceremony last winter solstice uh, where about 80 people took the vow, your life begins to organize around that new commitment, similar to how your life organizes around the new relationship when you take a marriage vow. You can't help it. Everything changes in your life. And in ways that you couldn't have imagined before taking the vow, you are supported by the world, by your community, by your own heart, by your, by your conviction, and, of course, by the earth herself. Um, so thanks for bringing that in, Skylar. It, it feels like the one very important part of uh, the order of the sacred earth, if anyone was interested in getting involved, it's just to take that vow, even if it's on your own. Create a ritual for yourself. Tune in mm. to, to where your heart is and, and why you're feeling called to this and take the vow to love and defend the earth. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, as you mentioned, it could be powerful to do it with a witness, at least one person who, who hears mm-hmm. you and receives you so that it does bring you into an interpersonal and larger context. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, all, all that you said is great. And, and I, I just reiterate that um that that I've personally found that since I've made that vow, it, it's reinvigorated my commitment to where I feel like I'm doing enough. It's not about being guilty or feeling caught up in um, in the fact that I'm still part of this destructive system. That's true, and I feel like I'm part of of a solution that's continuing to emerge, and that mm. I'm giving at least a little bit more of my psychic energy to, to this, this, this large and immediate um, problem, which is, which is how do I make myself in alignment with, with the earth and how do I open to the intelligence of the earth herself so that, that I can lead my life in a more coherent way. And of course we know from, from other spiritual traditions like Buddhism, that the more you, you open and give to others, the more pleasure you receive, the more it just, it's a, it's a two way street. And, and the more empathy that you can start to feel the more, um, yeah, it's just, it, it really has, um, has made things simple and, and focused for, for me. <clears throat> well, the course of miracles is, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's a channel set of books. And one of the things that the Course in Miracles says is that the cost of giving is receiving. You know, not that you mm-hmm. give to get, but you just give. And it's mm-hmm. a dynamic law of nature that, you know, when we're of service and helping and, you know, wherever your attention goes, the energy flows. And by you're co-creating uh-huh. the universe. And so, um, okay, so listeners, I want to mention, if you want to find out more information or how to get involved, you can go to www.orderofthesacredearth.org. You've been hearing from two of the three authors of uh, Order of the Sacred Earth, An Intergenerational Vision of Love and Action. You've been hearing Skylar Wilson and uh, Jennifer, how do I say your last name? Listen, I know it's a tough one. <laughs> okay, no, I actually did okay with it. But, um, but you know, so, so yeah. 
the listeners, the, you, this is a wonderful book. You know, you, there was, this would make a wonderful gift for um, anyone in your sphere on the on this upcoming holiday season. And you could, you know, this is a great book for for on so many levels for book clubs for you know all kinds of things. So I just want to thank the two of you for the work that you're doing and for being my guest tonight. I just really my hat is off to both of you. Mm-hmm. Thank, thank you, you so much. Followed, Ron. It's wonderful to be on the show. Okay. All right. Thank, thank you. you so much. And um, keep on doing it. Let, it. let us know if Spirit Seekers can help you in too. any way. Okay. Yes, thank you, you so too. Much. Thanks so much. Thank- okay. All right. Bye. Good night.